Let's pray together. We come together now, Father, in fellowship, in koinonia, with you. Lord, we come in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. We ask, O Lord, for your spirit to revive us, to awaken us, to teach us, to conform us to your will and to your Son. O God, you have given us this morning stories with eternal consequences. May we think of eternity. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Amen. I asked ChatGPT this week, I said, what are some of the most famous stories of all time? What are some of the most famous stories of all time? In fact, I asked for the top ten stories of all time. I was wondering if you could name three of those. Three stories as considered maybe a consensus of minds around this, this globe. What are three of the most famous stories of all time out of the top ten? What is it? The Odyssey. On the list. You start off well. Harry Potter. On the list. The Great Gatsby. On the list. Wizard of Oz. Not on the list. Oh. Tortoise on the hair. Not on the list. The Boy Who Cried Wolf. No. Lord of the Rings is on the list. All right, let me give you the list. Let me give you the list from 1 to 10. Romeo and Juliet. The Odyssey. To Kill a Mockingbird. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The Lord of the Rings. Harry Potter. Pride and Prejudice. Which is, by the way, one of my favorites. Don't think worse of me. The Great Gatsby. The Iliad. Two by Homer, by the way. And finally, rounding out the list, one that I love as well. 1984 by George Orwell. Stories. I can remember reading many of these while in middle school and high school. Stories that engaged us and that... that grabbed our attention. It is what makes Hollywood Hollywood. At least the only valuable part of Hollywood oftentimes is are the stories that they tell. Stories draw us in. It it helps us to remember. It, It brings us into moral dilemmas. What should we do? What should they do? They shouldn't have done that. How will they overcome it brings us to a place where we, we find victory in the, in the jaws of defeat. It teaches us about heroism and courage and the ability to overcome that desire to quit. Stories draw us in and stories are something that we need as a culture because they inspire us. They correct us. They direct us. And if you don't read or watch or listen to good stories, you are missing out. Amen. My librarian friend says, 
And if you don't believe me or Miss Kitty, then believe Jesus. Because Jesus, a primary part of his ministry was telling stories. And, and I know that some of us think of the word stories as a lie. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Like you, he's telling stories. I'm talking about a narrative with a plot. Telling stories is something that Jesus did often. In fact, so often that the Bible tells us specifically that he did it. In fact, if you look in Matthew 13, 34, Mr. Wayne will pull it up. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in, in what? Parables. Now that word you're familiar with if you've been around the church for a while. If you haven't, a parable is a story with a meaning or a moral. It has a purpose in its, in its existence. And a parable was, was for two things, or, or probably many more than two, but I'll give you two things. One, biblically, was for Jesus to hide things from people. If you don't believe that, you can read through the Gospels and he'll tell you that, he, that things are hidden. To some and revealed to others, let him who has ears, let him hear. That's where that comes from. But secondly, was because people remembered stories and he wanted people to remember the lessons that he taught. And we all remember stories much better than we remember lecture at times. In fact, do any of y'all remember one of any of the main characters in to kill a mockingbird. And what did, what did, what was uh, hidden? And where were the things hidden for, uh, for uh, Scout to find? They were hidden in a tree. You remember these things because they're stories and we picture them in our mind. Stories help us to remember things. Let's look today, this morning, at stories that Jesus gave us. And here's the framework that I want to set up. The framework is not, hey, let's hear some stories. But, but let's look at how Jesus took real world things and gave eternal truths. And so I've entitled the message, and I want to say it a few times for us to remember the, the point of today. Jesus told stories with Eternal consequences. Jesus told stories with eternal consequences. And I'm going to tell you here today, the stories that Jesus told 2,000 years ago have eternal consequences for me and for you. And they have very real application for you and I today. I'm going to begin in Matthew 13 because that's where I'm going to begin. There are those before that. And most of what I will be sharing today come from the Gospel of Matthew. And they will have purpose and help for us today. Matthew 13, beginning of verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the what? It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is... Large, 
And it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Well, what does this parable, this story mean? Uh, We think about this itty bitty seed turning into this massive tree, not a garden plant, but a massive tree. And I've seen a watermelon seed. It's it's pretty big and it doesn't grow into a massive tree. But this itty bitty, itty bitty mustard seed grows into a tree to support the birds and the nests of the birds and and the squirrels, presumably, or whatever else would nest in a tree. What is the point of this? What does he say is like the mustard seed? Maybe that will help us. Well, in this case, he says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In other cases, he he alludes to faith being like the mustard seed. But this is the kingdom of heaven, which is God's kingdom that will start itty bit. In fact, so itty bitty that it started in one person. And that was Jesus Christ who showed up and said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel until it grew to 12 men following him, until it grew into the group of disciples, until it grew into 3,000, and then 5,000. And we see it in Acts growing and growing. And we begin to see the tree planting and taking root and growing into into what God will make it to be. And, And think about this. It started in a small city in the Middle East, and now is in Plaquemine, Louisiana. Do you think Jesus was right? Amen. Amen, he was right. And y'all, we're still part of it. We had hundreds of people on our campus Sunday night, did we not? And you know what I heard? I heard several people say, every stop I took, they told me about Jesus. Every stop where we went, we heard the message that Jesus saves sinners that repent. The kingdom of God is a mustard seed that grows and grows. And and, and church, I want you to know my goal in this church is to grow the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's in you and it's in those who are coming and it's in those who will hear. This is the kingdom of God and it is growing here. And so he, he continues, and anybody remember off the top of your head, what's the other illustration that Jesus gives to talk about the kingdom of heaven growing? Anybody? It's not that one. I'll let Wayne pull it up in verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, like leaven, like yeast. That a woman took and hid three measures in flour till it was all grown up. Oftentimes we think about this world and how bad things are going around us and how governments are failing and and other religious uh, militants are growing around us and and how, how terrible our culture has come in the last 70 years and how far we've fallen And a lot of that is true. In fact, all of that is true. But, Christian, hear me. And don't hear me. Hear Jesus. Jesus wanted us to know, despite 
the problems that are going on around us, there is victory. And it comes in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. And we are part of that. In fact, Christian, you can look and say, I am a part of that. I know who I was. I know who I am. And Jesus is the difference. Amen? Amen. There is victory, and that is what Jesus said. So though the gates of hell come against the kingdom of God, they shall not prevail. Amen? Amen? It is the kingdom of God that will take root, mature, and grow. And is growing in you and me today. All right, there you go. Stories with eternal consequences. Why does it matter? Because for those who are in Christ and in the kingdom, there is eternal glory. But for those who are not in Christ, there is eternal condemnation. And we will get to that. Stories with eternal consequences. Now we move down to verse 44. One of my favorite parables in one verse. It's actually two of my favorite parables in two verses, but I'm going to say it one in one verse. And here it goes. You can probably quote this one. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered it up. Now, wait, what? Covered it up? That doesn't make any sense. If you find a treasure, why would you cover it up? Well, that's what he did. He covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. You got it? He covered it up so that he could acquire it. Now, let me give you same psalm, second verse. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine Pearls. Now, Miss Shirley showed me her bracelet this morning, the fantastic bracelet that David built for her over the years. We talked about some things Wednesday night in our, our study. We talked about things that we treasure, things we love. And she shared the bracelet. I love it. She showed me this morning a treasure. Now, here's somebody treasure hunting. Some of y'all had a special guns or, or a special thing that was given to you. <coughs> Listen to this one. He was in search of fine pearls. He was a treasure hunter who, on finding one pearl of great price, what did he do? He went and sells, sold all that he had to buy the one that mattered. Same song, second verse. What do these two stories have in common? Look at them. You may not have it up here. I'm, I'm going to draw your attention. Uh, look at verse 44. What does the man do when he finds the treasure? We already established it. He does what? He covers it up and then he does what? Sells all he has. All right. Next verse. Finds the pearl. Search of the pearls. Next verse, Wayne. What does he do? He sells. All that he had, and he acquired it. What did Jesus ask the rich young ruler to do? Therefore, to be a Christian, you must sell all that you have. Hillary got it. No, 
but you must abandon all that you value. And this is the message that Jesus gives. If we truly understand that the treasure is not a pearl, and the treasure is not something in the ground, but the treasure is something much greater. These are stories with eternal consequences. The treasure is an eternal treasure found in none other than that of Jesus Christ the Lord. And we must abandon all of our pride and all of our worth in this world. We must be willing to abandon all of our pursuits of other pearls and other treasures and sell all that we have to acquire what Jesus is. And this is what happens at conversion. If you're with us today and you've never experienced what conversion to Christianity is, here's what it will feel like. Here's what it will look like inside of you. I don't care what I have to do. I'm following Jesus. I'm selling all I have to follow Jesus. And that's not necessarily everything in my wallet. It's everything in my heart. I will follow Jesus. I cling to this desire. I cling to this commodity. I cling to this possession. I cling to this addiction. It's gone. I'm selling it all to follow Jesus. This is a conversion parable. I'm selling it all to come to Jesus. And Christian, you know what I'm talking about. And when the Bible says, when Jesus says that you must die to yourself, take up your cross daily. We have to take take inventory of all of our desires and say, I have pursued other pearls and I've got to get rid of my other pearls. It is Jesus and only Jesus. We sang it this morning, church. Did you sing it? Did you mouth the words or did you sing it? Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Stories with eternal consequences. All right, here's another one. Y'all like stories? I hope so. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven, again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. I like to fish. I can get into this kind of story. So you throw your net out. When you net fish, you don't know what you get. When you're throwing a line, you know what fish you're going for, generally. Right? When you throw a net, whatever gets in that net, let's go. And so he pulls in fish of every kind. Verse 48. When it was full, the men drew it ashore and sat down. And what did they do, church? They sorted the goods into containers, but threw away the bad. Y'all are familiar with the term trash fish, right? Those are the fish that you catch that you don't want because they don't eat well. It's catfish, right? Oh, I said that out loud. I did, and I meant it. Catfish. You just throw them back. Those things are trash. You don't want to eat that. They sorted the fish, and they threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate 
Who will they separate, church? Help me out. The evil from the righteous. Y'all are paying attention, aren't you? I hope so. This is a story with eternal consequences right here. The angels at the end of the age will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And they will throw them. Where, church? Into the fiery furnace. Stories with eternal consequences. In that place, in the place, the fiery furnace place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want you to know, when, Jesus, when people talk about Jesus outside of the Christian culture or on the fringes, they talk about Jesus being loving. And what they mean by that is Jesus is accepting and tolerant of all things and all people. And I want to tell you from the mouth of Jesus that we have to be careful how we describe Jesus. Because while I would say without a doubt Jesus was loving, with the proper definition of love, which is what? Wanting the best for someone and doing something about it. Jesus told people that there would be a sorting at the end of the age. And in his love, he wanted people to know that what you do in this age will matter in the next. And the way he described the place for those who do not seek the right pearl, for those who do not seek the right treasure and sell all they own, that they will be thrown into a place likened to a fiery furnace. May I say that one more time? For those of you who do not know, Jesus, the one who came from heaven, told us that those who did not seek him, who did not sell everything to follow him, who were not part of the kingdom of heaven, would be thrown into a place likened to a fiery furnace. And in my very less love for you compared to God's love, I want to make sure we are all very clear. The consequence for not knowing Jesus is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of eternal torment. But for those who do seek the great prize, it is a place of great joy. As described by Jesus himself when he says, enter into the joy of your master. Where will you be when the sorting takes place, friend? Where will you be? Are you ready? If you are not ready, if you are not ready, let me tell you that Jesus saves sinners that repent. And that you can be saved by selling all that you have and pursuing Jesus Christ the Lord. Am I right, Christian? Am I right? Jesus saves sinners that repent, who sell it all and say, for the kingdom is mine. Sometimes we, we think that we can just add Jesus into our kingdom, but, but there's a problem with that. Jesus doesn't like other kings. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is no one like him. None. And he does not tolerate other kings. 
Here's the good news. Parable of the lost sheep. Stories with eternal consequences. Verse 10 of chapter 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. Even these little ones have angels in heaven before the Father. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray or has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know, I read this story, and I've read it lots of times, and you have too, many of you, Christians. Something stands out to me in this story. You know, you see what he says? Look at what he says in, in verse 13. Verse 13. He finds the lost one. Now, now, we all love the fact that he leaves the 99 to come after the one who's gone astray. Because, y'all, I was the one that went astray. He rejoices more over the what? Does, does that bother you? Read it again. He rejoices more over the one than the 99 that didn't go astray. That's not fair. Now, some of you have been to church your whole life. You might even be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a nursery worker. Those are, those are the most holy people in the church. Y'all know that. And you say, I've done everything my whole life in the church. I'm one of the good guys. And you're going to rejoice more over the one that left? You know who that sounds like, right? Y'all know who that sounds like. Y'all read other stories with eternal consequences. That sounds a whole lot like that brother from the prodigal son, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, Father, I've never messed up. I've always been faithful to you. And you killed the fatted calf because that boy came home. He was a mess. So I don't think we should feel that way. You know what I think rather? I think rather we should figure out, well, why? Why does he rejoice more over the one that came back rather than being grumpy over the sinner and the fact that he got to sin and have some sort of perceived pleasure that we didn't get to have, right? So why? Why does the father and the prodigal son, and why does the shepherd rejoice over the one who comes home? Think on it for a minute, and I'm going to give you my answer. Why? 
Does the father, does the shepherd not love the ones who are his, all of those who are his? Does he not love all of them? Parents, you have more than one child. Do you not love all of them? Right? I love most of mine. No, I do love you, Titus. I do. I'm playing. It's not that he doesn't love them. It's that there's a joy over redemption. Come on now, y'all. If you've experienced the redemption, you know what I'm talking about. It's a redemption that brings joy. Because here's how it goes. Y'all have been there. You pray for someone. Years. Right, Miss Betty? You pray for somebody years and years. And you love them. And you pray and you pray. And they come to the Lord Jesus and you ignite. Because one who was lost is now found. And there is great joy. Because what seemed to be a desperate and terrible situation, fiery furnace worthy, has now become a homecoming joyful moment. And you better celebrate. The Lord loves redemption. In fact, He loves it so much that every one of you, Christian, got to experience redemption. There's not a soul I'm looking at in this room that hasn't sinned and sinned big. And you know what I'm talking about. And you got to experience redemption. Hey, sheep, you came home because the shepherd came and got you. Praise the shepherd's name. We better keep going. Stories with eternal consequences. Oh, oh, here, this one. All right. Get your toes. Get them ready. You got your toes. Get them ready. I'm about to step on them. Actually, I'm not. Jesus is going to step on your toes. Holy Spirit is going to step on your toes. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who settled or who's, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. You don't know how much that is, but that's an insurmountable money. That's a lot of money. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his kids and all that he had and payment to be made to the king's account. So the servant, like any smart man, fell on his knees and implored the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which in reality, from what I've studied, is not possible even in this case with that size of debt. The king said, out of pity, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. What did he do? He released him and he forgave him the debt. 
forgave him the debt. Out of what? What did he say motivated him? Out of what? Out of pity. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, we're talking a different league here. About 10,000 talents and a hundred days wages. Less than a year. A third of a year you could work off this debt. Well, this released servant seizes him and began to to choke him. Began to choke. This thing was personal. You've got my money. And he said, pay what you owe. So his servant, fellow servant, fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now what you probably don't know is this second guy, this second debt owner, he was a really bad guy. The first guy, he wasn't so bad. The second debt owner, he was really he really wasn't going to pay the debt back. The first guy, he was going to pay the debt back. The second guy, he was a really, really bad guy. Is that true? No. That's not true. They were both indebted. And this is what happens in our lives sometimes. We look at that story and we say, you know, I'm, I am really not that bad. I, my intentions are good. I'm going to pay back that debt. I'm all right. But that guy, have you ever met my wife? She, she's bad. Have you ever met my cousin? That guy's bad. There, there, there's no way they deserve the mercy. But me, I'm all right. That's kind of the way we, we, we turn things. And, and Jesus is bringing this story to say, that's not how I see it. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed as they should have been. And they went and they reported it to their master. They snitched on it. And they reported all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you what? Help me out. You what? You wicked. You wicked of wicked. Are you kidding me? I let you go from 10,000 talents. And you had a guy that owed you this and choked him. And sent him to prison so that he couldn't pay the debt. You must be kidding me. You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt. Because you pleaded with me. And should you not 
have had mercy on your fellow peer servants, as I had mercy on you. Look, y'all, this is what sin does to you and to me. Sin transforms reality. Y'all know what fog does, right? Y'all know what fog does. When you you see fog, you can't, nothing, like the trees don't disappear. You just can't see them because they're far away. They transform what we see. This is what sin does. It clouds your mind. And some of you are thinking of somebody right now that, that, that doesn't deserve forgiveness. Because after all, what they did is much worse than what I did. Stories with eternal consequences. Here's the reality. In God's sight, in His measure of righteousness, you don't measure up. And yet, Christian... He has forgiven all of your deficient measurements. In what world does it make sense that the greater sins against an eternal God and the eternal debt that is unpayable that we have been forgiven, should we not turn to someone who has wronged us in this world, albeit badly wronged us? It is temporal and not eternal. In what world should we not forgive someone? Verse 34 says this. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Watch this. Hear this. It's on the screen. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Christian, I leave you with this message. Not my words, but the words of our Lord Jesus Christ given to us by His Holy Spirit and into your eyes and into your ears and I pray into your heart. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Stories with eternal consequences. Jesus Christ was filled with stories with eternal consequences. My hope and prayer is that you today have heard these stories with eternal consequences. My hope is that you will have sold everything that you have and seek to follow Jesus. My hope is that you will not end up in the fiery furnace, but in the place of eternal joy of your master. My hope is that you know how to forgive people. My hope is that you will be a part of spreading the great kingdom that is like a mustard seed or like leaven. And there are many other stories of eternal consequences. Jesus Christ has given to us what matters 10,000 years from now. It is the wise ear that will hear today and hearken 
the words of Jesus and store them up into your heart. These are stories with eternal consequences. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories with eternal consequences that you have given to us. Father, may we live in the kingdom. May we sell all we have for the kingdom. God, may we be people of grace and forgiveness. And may we enter forever the joy of our master. Father, convert souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to our time of response.